Sammy. Yes. You're looking well. Thank you. <laughs> you're looking well, too. Well, now, where are you, buddy? I'm in Toronto, so... Sure. I know the <laughs> I know the the uh, Harold Ballard story. It's funny because oh. my dad, uh, my dad, and my mom are from Egypt, so they immigrated here to Canada, like most uh, sure. Canadians. And um, so my dad worked at the, the Toronto Stock Exchange, and so he would get tickets, random tickets, from other traders who had season tickets for the Leafs. But okay, he didn't know anything about hockey. And they would obviously only give him like when terrible teams were coming to town, right? Like they, you wouldn't get like Wayne Gretzky or something like that. And so right. he'd always say, "Do you want to go downtown and like go see a game?" I'm like, "Let's go!" And we didn't know what icing was. Like we didn't know like uh, like we barely know what a Rick Vive is. Like nothing. Well, just... I think at that time I don't think a lot of the Leafs knew any of the rules either. So <laughs> we fit in, right? Like I'm like, yeah. That's confusing. Mass confusion. Mass confusion. Uh, it was just a great excuse to get a hot dog, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. A nice old, a nice overpriced stale bun hot dog down at <laughs> yeah. the old 60 Yeah, chip your teeth yeah. a little bit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this is fun, uh, Sammy. Whatever you need for me, I am, I'm at the ready, my friend. Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, Sammy. If I was a hockey goalie, I'd be such a sieve that I could make perfect spaghetti. Yunnan. Jason Priestley's Pandemic Project Offside, the Harold Ballard story, is streaming on CBC Gem. It had its world premiere at the Whistler Film Festival back in December 2022. And yes, I said Jason Priestley. As in, you know, (laughs) Beverly Hills 90210 and the guy who directed that uh, video for the Bare Naked Ladies, the old apartment. Excellent, excellent tune. Priestley's documentary focuses on Harold Ballard, who was the principal owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs from 1972 until his death in 1990. And, well, basically, Ballard was a Canadian Donald Sterling who drove the original six hockey team into the ground. He fired 13 coaches and six general managers during his reign. He was misogynistic, homophobic, and racist, and that was all on the record as well, though many of his comments aligned with, you know, past societal values. I find documentaries like this are great because they reveal how far we've come while underscoring many of the common values we hold today will end up being super cringy to future generations. Thankfully, we're all going to be dead. So yeah, those are the basic beats of Harold Ballard. But who was he, really? This is what Priestley smoothly unpacks in this decidedly un-Canadian Heritage Minute. My guest is one of the documentary's executive producers, Chuck Tatham. Chuck Tatham has been a producer and a writer on Arrested Development, Modern Family, How I Met Your Mother, a whole bunch of sitcoms you've seen and enjoyed. His big break was writing on the last three seasons of Full House. Like, back in the day, you got a dude, Full House. He is a hockey fan and a guy who plays hockey, so we do talk about the Leafs, who won their last championship in 1967. Their 50-plus year drought between championships is currently the longest in the NHL. Do you believe in the Ballard curse? We also talk about writing for TV and being a Canadian who lives in LA. Some of the names you're about to hear are, you have to be ready for this, ready? 
David Letterman, Will Arnett, Mike Myers, Keanu Reeves, Matthew Perry, Jerry Bruckheimer. Jerry Bruckheimer, yo. I mentioned this briefly at the top, but my dad and I went to a handful of Ballard Leafs games. I remember Rick Vive. Thought he was a cool and good player. He's in this dock, and it was kind of nice to see him. For my dad and I, going to Leafs games during the Ballard years was this strange introduction to Canadian culture, especially in the late 80s and early 90s. We didn't fit in. We didn't understand the culture. I'm not even sure if the culture understood us either, so maybe it was all mutual. As an immigrant, my dad was a soccer fan, and I eventually moved on to the NBA, captivated by Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Still, let's return to this unsettling time in Toronto's history with this unusual sports documentary. This is about a sports team that never won. We typically don't make docs about losers, and yet here we are with Offside, the Harold Ballard story. Sound, the final frontier. My summer lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan. But I'm going to get right into it, talking about the myth and the, the legend of Harold Ballard sure, in sure, all of sure. its uh, crusty glory. Great. There's a striking montage in the first five minutes of the documentary, Offside the Harold Ballard story, where notable individuals are trying to sum up this, like, Leafs owner in one word. Uh huh. What is your one word <laughs> to sum up Harold oh, Ballard? Oh, Sammy, Sammy. Yeah. Uh, I think megalomaniac. It's a big word, but uh, he was a megalomaniac. He thought he had all power. Mm-hmm. He wasn't happy unless he had all power. And at the risk of embellishing my single word, um, he didn't care what happened. You know, he didn't care. He didn't care about the consequences of his behavior mm-hmm. as long as he had a publicity and B money. So uh, a megalomaniac, um, two words, a very, three words, a four words, a very, very needy megalomaniac. Okay, there you go. <laughs> that is a great way to put it. Uh, um, it. It's interesting because in sports, there's always that hierarchy where like, you know, if a team's doing badly, you might blame the goalie or some, maybe the star player, the captain. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's kind of going on for a little bit, a longer time, then the coach gets thrown under the bus or the GM and it's rare that yep. like you get to the level where it escalates, like a like a call or whatever, right? You go to the manager, you go right to the top, <laughs> right? And well, it's like you start throwing the owner under the bus. That's rare when the owner starts getting like. It, it, it is, except when when the hockey community saw the cavalcade of coaches, very you know some very competent coaches, guys like Roger Nielsen and Dan Maloney, who got fired. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many? I mean, Ballard. I think fired 13 coaches, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, and you sort of lose track because some guys got fired twice, you know, and uh, <laughs> the team, if you're a George, if you're a George Steinbrenner mm-hmm. and you're an obnoxious, rich jerk, but yeah. you get the Yankees the world series, then you're forgiven. You know, you, yeah. you're, you're, you're doing whatever it takes to, to win it all. Winning covers a lot of sins. It does. Mm-hmm. It covers a lot of sins and you, and you put up with this obnoxious behavior if the Leafs had won, if the Leafs had won, we wouldn't be uh, so bitter about Ballard. But the idea that someone was both incompetent and money and super greedy and the team stunk, you know, that was <laughs> that was why Ballard. That's yeah. why Ballard is held up as possibly one of the worst team owners in you know professional sports history. Yeah, that montage that I mentioned, where people are just listing all these different individual words, 
the final word in that montage is enigma and i think that's yes. kinda, like is that what kind of drew you and director i guess uh jason Priestley, to this documentary subject it, it, that's a very good question my friend he was kind of an enigma in that on the face of it he was this buffoon this big public clown but as you as i researched this and we did the the film it became obvious he was a kind of a needy, insecure guy. He had his wife until she died. Mm -hmm. He had his friend, Staff Smythe, until he died. He had uh, his friend, King Clancy, till he died. And he had Yolanda McMillan, his girlfriend, until Ballard died. And so he was an enigma in that he seemed to be powerful and confident and, and brash. But uh, you scratch the surface a little bit, and this is a very insecure man. He was an extraordinarily insecure man. And he may have been insecure, he wouldn't admit it, about the fact he knew nothing about hockey. He knew next to nothing about hockey. So you had a guy who had to pretend. It was a little bit like Trump being president. Mm -hmm. You had a guy who had, to <laughs> who had to pretend to know what he was doing and was so full of confidence that, that, that he, you know, his every word, his every deed suggested, I know what I'm doing, at least to himself. But the public could see he had no idea. Butler had no idea what he was doing. And uh, but the building was full. The tickets were all sold. He didn't care. He was, he was the, the cash register is ringing. So. The the parallel to Trump as well is that like Ballard moved into the building. He lived above Maple Leaf Gardens. <laughs> right? Like, did. you know, what I mean, he like did. it's that lazy kind he of did. billionaire, rich, like millionaire kind Just of guy. A, yep. A fat guy walking around in his building. And uh, when you hear the players talking about seeing him in his bathrobe or sitting in the back, you know, during a practice, eating a bowl of ice cream. It was like, is this guy for real? Because remember, the there were the seven guys that sort of took over the team from Con Smythe, the team founder. And then it was down to three. It was down to John Bassett and Stafford Smythe and Harold Ballard. Then they bought out uh, Bassett and then Stafford died. So the team was kind of dropped in Ballard's lap. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit of a, it's a bit of a, be careful what you wish for, because now he controlled the Toronto Maple Leafs by, I think it was 70, 71 or whatever. And uh, he didn't know what he was doing. He would never admit it, but he had no idea what, what he was doing. And the team, because they won the cup, the last cup was in '67, and since then it's been they've had a, they've had some good teams. But until he died in 1990, the team was uh, ten consecutive losing seasons from '79 to '89. That's not easy to do, Sammy. It's not easy to be that bad con that consistently. But they pulled it off. So. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive, right? You can be impressive it the was other way. Cool. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. It was depressive. Yeah. Depressive. There you go. That shit just been there. Instead of we the North for like the what the Raptors have for the slogan, like we are depressed. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. There, there, there should have been we want a refund. That should have been the Leafs <laughs> slogan. <laughs> and I mean, are you sure you guys got the right footage for that apartment that he had above Maple yeah. Leaf Gardens? It looked like a try. It's like a true crime scene. Like somebody got murdered it was there. Really sad. <laughs> and everybody was very curious. Will we find some footage of this of this place where Ballard lived? Because he's a multimillionaire. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was sumptuous. Maybe it was this cool little, you know, four bedroom thing. But no, it's this 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 little hall into a windowless room. But I think he felt very safe at Maple Leaf Gardens. That was his little kingdom, and that was the sixty Carlton Street was his little castle, mm -hmm. and he could do what he wants. I it just it was just it was just weird. The more we found out about. The fact that he he had a lovely house mm -hmm. and lots of money, but he preferred to live, you know, above the Zamboni. Just weird. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> the Zamboni can sometimes be a little bit fun, right? So, like, I'm sure he might. Well, maybe he drove it, it around at night it, or something when nobody was looking. Maybe, he, maybe he drove it around. I there is evidence to suggest that the fumes from the Zamboni may have affected his mind, but uh, <laughs> place needed better ventilation. <laughs> <laughs> that might be something else. Exploring if there's like a follow up documentary yes, of this. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Was uh, you as a kid from Ontario, was there any trash talking with uh, director Jason Priestley, who grew up obviously a Vancouver Canucks fan? Was there well, <laughs> And they've obviously never won a cup, right? They've never won a cup. But I, I will admit, um, interestingly, I'm a Montreal fan. I, I, was, I was raised in southern Ontario, mm -hmm. but the Leafs were so bad <laughs> that I, as a kid, I, my brother was four years my senior, he said, uh, you know, he's a Montreal fan. I said, why? I said, well, when's the last time that the Leafs won a cup? I was like, oh, yeah, Montreal wins that every year. So I'm a Montreal fan. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as trash talk between Vancouver and Montreal, you know, you just have nothing but sympathy for the good people of Vancouver. I mean, they were close, mm -hmm. as you recall. Uh, they've been close a few times, but in 94 against the Rangers, that was – and but Messier, as you recall, was unstoppable. But yeah, yeah. Jason, it was great to have – a supremely talented guy like Jason to direct and to produce and to narrate. Uh, he was a great interviewer. He got a lot out of, you know, sitting down with, with Wendell and Daryl and Lanny and Tiger and, and a lot of media people. Um, my perspective as far as researching this was I was raised 52 minutes away from Maple Leaf Gardens in mm -hmm. Guelph. So I knew the shit show that was going on. And, and I knew that every time mom and dad opened the newspaper, Ballard was on the front page. Uh, just a weird, and I kind of assumed because my dad, I've, I've actually, it's interesting. My dad said the Leafs were, were used to be good, and I didn't believe him because when I was a kid, they just stunk. Said, yeah, we got, you know, we won the cup thirteen times. That, what? Yeah, what are you kidding me, Dad? You know, <laughs> and 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 so now that they're good again, even though I'm a Montreal fan, I really love for the Leafs to win the cup. I would just love because so many of our friends and neighbors would be over the moon, you know, if we if they finally got out from under this rock, but. Uh, a great team this year, but I, I, you never know. Something always seems to happen. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, that's the ballad curse, right? Like you kind of revisit that at, in the documentary, yep. Yep. drawing the parallels yep, like, to the Boston Red Sox. Yes, it feels like it feels like a curse, which is unfortunate. Um, the team is so well managed and so stocked with talent right now. Um, I, I, I mean, unfortunately, this season Boston is, and I detest Boston. Right, but. Uh, uh, they're so good this year. And then there are a couple of other teams that are really good, and the Rangers are good, and it's just tough. It's just tough for the Leafs. There's, what is it, 32 teams or whatever it is. It's, mm -hmm. just, a, it's, it's tough. So. Yeah. I mean, it must have put a lot of pressure, too, after the Raptors won because that was kind of unexpected oh. in a way, right? Like, you wouldn't I, expect, uh, like, a Canadian hockey place like Toronto. Well, <laughs> and, 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 and I remember when the Blue Jays won it twice. Mm -hmm. They won the World Series in 92, 93, and my buddy in Chicago was like, we haven't won it since the World War One, you know, and we we did in the league for 15 years. Yeah, we got a couple of World Series, and that drove my buddies in Chicago nuts. <laughs> and as far as the Raptors are concerned, I mean, that was yeah. I mean, it, it sure puts pressure on the Leafs. Uh, that was incredible. They the team is well managed. They got a great roster. Everything went their way. They had Kawhi Leonard for what an hour and a half, and he <laughs> and he was great. You know, a rental. Uh, a uh, pure one of the one of the great sports rentals, Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> yes, that might be another future documentary, like exploring sports yes, rentals. Yes, rentals, sports rentals. That's a good idea for a documentary. Let me start typing. Okay, there you go. Speaking of typing, your first, I guess, major break would be considered full house. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, uh, my brother Jamie and I were writing, we were both in advertising in Toronto, and I said, is your job as bad as mine? And he said, <laughs> yep. And so we moved to LA, mm -hmm. and we got on Full House 30 years ago, so I would have been, what, six years old? <laughs> uh, anyway, we drove like down the there. Doogie housing, was... uh, Doogie House of Writing. The, you know what? You said it very well. The, the, I was a child. I was a, a young, a, a little, little boy. And, um, of course, uh, Full House was a huge hit, mm -hmm. a massive hit. We got there. It was on the Warner Brothers lot. And we did three years. We did, we did the last three years of Full House. And then my brother came to his senses and went back to uh, Canada. But I was addled, so I stayed in L.A. until now. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I stayed at Warner Brothers I did two more. I did two years on Ashoka Living Single with Queen Latifah, mm -hmm. a couple years on Suddenly Susan with Brooke Shields, and then I was just off to the races. I've been a very lucky guy. Um, arrested development. Arrested and modern, uh, family. Your mother, modern family. Yeah, I have been very lucky and uh, uh, met a lot of really nice people. I've got a million stories. Uh, I can tell three of them. The rest I get sued. <laughs> no, it, it's uh, it, it's been a nice ride. For, I was born in Listowel, Ontario, mm -hmm. and uh, raised in Guelph. And and it's funny, when I first got down to Hollywood, people would say, you should go home. You, you should go home. And I, th I thought it was because they'd read my writing and they thought it was crap, <laughs> which may have been the case. But uh, the longer I was there, the more I realized they thought I was, I dare say, kind of a nice guy, kind of an innocent guy from Canada and might not be prepared for all that Hollywood was. But I, I survived and worked. I've worked every year, and uh, now I'm on a show actually up here called Children Ruin Everything on right. CTV. And uh, I, I've told my uh, kids, my sons are now uh, adults, but I told them I did not come up with the name of that show. Mm -hmm. That was Kurt Smeaton, a very funny, <laughs> very talented man. He said Children Ruin Everything. I just show up and help yeah. with the scripts a yeah. little bit. So, uh, But the, the break from Full House, that came from a spec script? Like you wrote a spec script for The Simpsons? You and your brother? Yes. Do you remember what the premise was? The premise was uh, so, so dark that I remember we had a meeting at Paramount. And when the person at Paramount read the script, they canceled the meeting. That's how dark <laughs> it was. But the guys, Dennis, Dennis Trinsler and Mark Warren, who ran um, Full House, read it. It was about the fact that Lisa Simpson had her tonsils out. Mm -hmm. And uh, before the surgery... Uh, uh, Homer deeply offends the surgeon and he's worried that the surgeon's going to do a bad job. So we do that the night before the surgery, he takes a bottle of scotch. Uh, we called it old Klugman. <laughs> takes a bottle of scotch to the surgeon's house to make amends, not knowing the surgeon is a sober alcoholic. <laughs> so the, the, the surgeon shows up uh, completely blasted for Lisa's surgery the next day. And it was a kind of a fun premise, which the guys at Full House enjoyed very much. Um, and I think we also, they may have read it Frazier that we wrote but I remember in the job interview um, uh, because being raised in Canada as you know anything over like 12 Celsius is tropical mm -hmm. and uh, in weather. the interview I said well I said are we allowed to wear shorts and they said sure I said, we'll work here you know I don't <laughs> care if you whip us and beat us as long as we can wear shorts so right. uh, next thing you know uh, next thing we know we're uh, on full house and uh, uh, it was a top 20 show, I think, on Friday night, you know, TGIF and, mm -hmm. and et, cetera, et cetera. But it was a show that we were too, like, I was raised with the Brady Bunch. I knew the, the full host was a phenomenon, but I didn't realize, I didn't really, I hadn't seen the show, 
you know, I knew that there was Bob Saget and Coulier and Stamos yeah. and the the girls, but uh, um, it was a lot of fun. I was on the Warner Brothers lot. We'd see um, George Clooney playing basketball because he was on ER at the time. That's right, yeah. And and Friends was was cranking up there in the '90s, and the Warner Brothers lot was Drew Carey show. There was a lot going on. It was a lot of fun. A great turkey burger, by the way, Sammy. I don't know if they still have a great turkey burger, but the Warner Brothers lot had one of the great turkey burgers. This is going to so be inspiring you know. for like future Canadian screenwriters and people who want to break into like film and like TV, right? Like the turkey uh, burger I, 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 is something we don't talk about. These, you're very, you know, it's true. A lot of people have not discussed the, the, the lure of the turkey burger. <laughs> I would submit though, I've said to a lot of young writers, the, I don't think I ever aspired to work in Hollywood. My brother and I wrote a show in Toronto before we went called Maniac Mansion. It starred Joe Eugene Flaherty. Levy? The episodes were directed, we were directed by yes Eugene Levy, and the um, the head writer was Mike Short, Martin Short's brother. Mm -hmm. And he was the guy that said, "He said you guys have got to go." And we said, "Because because we stink." He said, <laughs> "Well, no, because there's not there are no opportunities here. This is like the only thing that you can do here." Was this it was that and maybe one or two other scripted comedies? And I liked the idea of going to New York. I wanted to work for Letterman, and he said. No, you want to do scripted television. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can go to New York and try and get a letter. But if you want to do scripted comedy, you've got to go to L.A. And so even though I think um, I was reluctant to go to L.A., it was pretty obvious when I got here. Yeah, this is where I had to be. And uh, but I'm but what I'm telling young writers now is if you can do it up here, do it up here. Mm -hmm. You know, do it up here because, you know, Canada's. I miss Canada every day. I'm in LA. You know, yeah. it's this is culturally and 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 uh, LA's got oh, Sammy, LA's got issues. LA's got issues, but okay. I mean, but uh, an excellent turkey burger on the Warner's lot. Oh, the Warner Brother turkey burger almost made you forget about the racial tension and the the homelessness and the the pollution and the shootings and the the earthquakes and the floods and oh, the yeah, fires yeah. and the, and the Yeah, that kind of does balance yeah. out when you put it that way. <laughs> when you think of it, yeah. You get a mouthful of a tasty turkey burger, it makes it all right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, were you able to tell the twins apart on Full House? Oh, Sammy, the old story <laughs> goes uh, The old story goes that I couldn't tell Mary-Kate from Ashley, and I asked one of the writers one day, how can you tell which one's Mary-Kate and which one's Ashley? And he said, first, you have to give a shit. And I said, okay. <laughs> okay, that's a good point. I don't really care and nobody else does. But Ashley yeah. had a little birthmark just above her lip. And I think we put makeup on it so they were literally identical. Mm -hmm. um, but they were good kids. I would love to say I had a great relationship with them, but they were very tiny and they were quite quiet. Mm -hmm. And I think to this day, they remain um, very tiny and quite quiet, but very extraordinarily successful. I mean, I'm, I'm delighted for their success uh, in fashion. Yeah, you got it, dude. Uh, so <laughs> is Jason Priestley on your hockey team in L.A.? Because I know you have a number no. of uh, when you guys take on like Jerry no. Bruckheimer and other guys. The, uh, the, the Bruckheimer is in El Segundo. Um, I have never played hockey with Jason. I hung up the skates at least temporarily right before COVID. Mm -hmm. So I did uh, uh, that league is in Panorama City, which is uh, sort of in the deep part of the San Fernando Valley. I don't want to say it's a bad neighborhood, Sammy, but I wear my equipment to the game. I drive there <laughs> yes. with the helmet. Yeah. The pads on and have my <laughs> the fight starts ready. before the game. You, you, if you can get it from the car into the arena <laughs> without being shot at. You know, what's interesting in that league. Um, there are nights where if you saw a white Rolls Royce, mm -hmm. I mean, that Justin Bieber was playing on the, on the big, the big sheet, we played on the four and four, the littler sheet, mm -hmm. but you'd see occasionally 
And what kind of, you got to have a lot of money to drive a white Rolls Royce to Panorama City and just leave it <laughs> in the parking lot. But I guess, I guess when you're from, uh, where's he from? Stratford, Ontario, the pride of Stratford, mm-hmm. Justin Bieber can do whatever he wants. So there you go. Yeah. It's funny because it's like you're saying, like, this is like kind of a sketchy area, but it's a number of like, it's like, it's you, is uh, Matthew Perry, I think, is on your team. Uh, hey, hey, back in back in the day when I got here, Matt Matt Perry was on the team. Keith Sullivan was on the team, um, and it, everybody was sort of industry. They were actors, mm-hmm. uh, you know, writers, uh, stuntmen. And what's interesting, there Hollywood is it's so hard to get a job that we'd play from you know eleven to twelve thirty, and they go out for beers because till two or whatever on a Monday because nobody had to get up, like nobody <laughs> had to, get, right. you know, yeah, but. But I remember sitting with with my my old pal Matthew Perry one day, and he really, really, you could tell the desire to succeed. And he was obviously a, a great looking guy. He was a wonderful person. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, the fact that he blew up, uh, I was, I, I never got to know the guy particularly well. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw him naked, of course, many times in the locker room, but I didn't get to know him very well. <laughs> and the fact that he did so well is 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 kind of great. And uh, uh, that was a that was a fun league. Uh, that particular league, and uh, I guess I played in that league for oh, about a quarter of a century. Anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there any uh, famous actor or uh, producer or whoever it may be that's like a turns out like a really good hockey player? Well, Keanu Reeves was a great goaltender. He was a really great goaltender. That makes sense when you see the John Wick stuff. Yes, yes. I'm <laughs> glad he didn't kick me in the head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Richard Dean Anderson, the gentleman who played MacGyver, was mm-hmm. uh, very, very. Matthew Perry's an incredible athlete. He was a, a ranked tennis player in Canada as a young man. And um, no, every I, 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 it was a league where I mean the fact that I was in it meant that the skill level wasn't that high. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've seen, like, there's no difference in my skating between having the skate guards on and having them off. That's how bad. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. <laughs> which which way do you shoot, Chuck? I don't. Neither way. Yeah. I don't really shoot either way properly. But uh, um, sometimes in the handshake line, I, I'm I'm blanking. Sometimes in the handshake line, uh, uh, you'll see someone, uh, a famous actor or or a producer or something like that. Jared Bruckheimer, I played against once, and it was not in a league game. Uh, he's a small guy, but his team is stocked with giant guys, so Jerry never gets in trouble. And uh, but that that's that was an El Segundo League mm-hmm. down south of the airport. That's where the Kings practice, and that's where all the Kings opponents practice. So you could go there when my kids were little. They played hockey all the way through grade school and high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, after their practices, Sammy, you'd go to the other rink, which was eleven feet away, and see the team that was going to play the Kings that night practicing. Wow. So there'd be three of us watching Carey Price and the Canadian. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a. A, a, a story my son nick my my uh, younger he had a, a, a practice one morning and there was a guy on the ice shooting pucks and so nicky went out and came back in said it was coach there's a guy on our ice shooting pucks and he said well it's our ice tell him to get off so nicky went out and said pardon me sir and the guy turned around with Sidney crosby wow and nicky said nicky said ah uh, I've been told to tell you, you got to get off the ice. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I went over my time. And it was when he was out getting uh, after his, one of his concussions and Sidney was training in L.A. So Nick uh, tells the story the rest of his life. I kicked Sidney Crosby off a hockey rink. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well done. Yeah. And it's it, yeah. it's interesting too the uh, the Sidney Crosby like apology. Like it's a very Canadian stereotype. I oh, know yeah. 
apparently, uh, Nick said he, he looked and sounded like he was very uh, he was very mad at himself for having encroached on the the the, the little guy's hockey. Dream. And then my my older son Trev played for the uh, LA Junior Kings, um, and uh, they're both really good hockey players. The hockey community down here in LA. Um, is quite advanced. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are there are teams like going up to Flin Flon and and Kamloops and kicking butt in tournaments, which is kind of cool. That is really cool. I, I bring up the yeah. Sidney Crosby apology because I want to circle back to the Harold Ballard documentary because sure. like Arrested Development, like you and a number of other like prominent Canadians, you played around with Canadian stereotypes uh, throughout the show, yep. right? Yes. And like, yeah. What stood out to me with the Harold Ballard thing was. He was very un-Canadian in a sense. He defied the Canadian stereotypes, right? Like there was a kind of cranky middle finger, <laughs> unapologetic yes. stance to him. Uh, it and almost like if he was a wrestler, he'd be a heel, which is like Canadian oxymoron. He, he would have been a he would have been a heel, but there was no pushback, mm-hmm. right? In the, the you know, Canadian culture in the seventies and eighties, there probably there's not very much pushback in Canada now when someone is obnoxious. You know when. In the subway in Toronto, someone steps on your foot. You say you're sorry, you know, right. and and that's the Canadian way. So I don't know. Ballard came from money, mm-hmm. so we got this. I, I I love the United States and, and and all of its lovely people, but he had a very a, sort of an American perspective on going about his business. And I think at the time he was so obnoxious and so brash and so unpleasant. I mean, he was. I guess he was fun. Some people thought he was fun. Um, that when people didn't push back, he just kept going. He just kept on being a jerk, mm-hmm. and the bigger jerk he was, the more he got in the newspaper. So unfettered, this guy uh, did from '71 to his death in 1990, whatever the hell he wanted. And if it got in the newspaper, he was he was delighted. It was just it was very, very un to your point, very un Canadian, very un Canadian behavior that was that was partly offensive and partly just confusing. Because what the hell? Where did this guy come from? He couldn't possibly be from Toronto. Yes, he's from Toronto. <laughs> Although the rest of Canada might say. Yes. <laughs> if he's obnoxious, he has to have been from Toronto. So. Right. <laughs> that seems to be like the two Toronto hallmarks, right? Like exactly. ambition and insecurity. Exactly. Yeah. If you're if you're if you're an obnoxious Canadian, you must be from Toronto. Well, I think Toronto's pretty good. I used to live on Bathurst Street and mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed my time in Toronto. I was there for the screening of the movie uh, two days ago. And it only took about an hour and a half to go four blocks. So I'd say Toronto's still getting it done yeah. with construction and jaywalking and traffic. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Toronto, then, like, you mentioned, like, the L.A. scene in terms of hockey and there's a enthusiasm mm-hmm. and a passion. Like, even in the documentary touches upon this, like, the, the team continues to lose, but the seats are filled and people are still going to games and the ratings yeah. are still high. And like, yes. Like, yeah. How do you explain yeah. a rock bottom team with like a loyal fan base? Basically, how do you explain well, Mike Myers? That's really what I'm asking. Like, well, that's the thing. Cause Mike is my age. And I think Mike's from Scarborough and mm-hmm. uh, East End Toronto. It was kind of the only, you know, it was one of the only things to do, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, with all due respect to the, the, the culture of Toronto in the fifties and the sixties and the seventies, there were no Blue Jays until mm-hmm. 77. There were no Raptors at all mm-hmm. during Ballard's life. And hockey is an institution. It was a little bit like going to church. Yeah. You know, I mean, the league was Saturday night. You had to watch the Leafs. And if you were lucky enough to get in the building, whether you were given the tickets or you somehow found the money for the tickets, you'd go. And they would lose, you know, 11-2 to St. Louis. And mm-hmm. you had a good time. <laughs> but you got in the building. Because it was because you were a little kid to go into that building. Mm-hmm. And once in a while, we had good seats down near the ice. We were often up in the grays in the very, very back. 
but just to be in the building was just and it was very quiet sammy yeah unlike rinks today where there's a, there's that sort of that buzz and that roar in a hockey rink no it was very 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 quiet at maple leaf gardens and uh i remember uh a dear old friend of mine had seats directly behind the leafs bench for a game once and directly behind him uh, boris Salming jumped on dropped his stick and grabbed a guy and got a penalty and he was on the ice for three seconds he went to the box the other team scored immediately so between the time he jumped on and was skating back to the ice silently was about 10 seconds and i i yelled nice shift boria and he looked <laughs> up and said fuck yourself and i said oh my gosh i got i was acknowledged by boris Salming. memories so, Oh my gosh! I thought everyone around me was, "Hey man, Boris Zalming told you to fuck yourself." It was yeah. pretty. It was pretty cool. Yeah. That should be like a Canadian Heritage Minute. <laughs> the time <laughs> Boris the Great Boris Zalming. For me, I was such a jackass, like a little jackass, yelling <laughs> something stupid. At I was actually um, one game at Maple Leaf Gardens. Alan Bester was a goaltender for the Leafs in the eighties, I think. And a pretty good goalie, but he had some off nights. And I was there. He was, he was doing poorly enough that I was actually yelling some things, I will admit. And the usherette came up to me and whispered to me, you're sitting beside his wife. So I, 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 I quieted down a little. Uh, the abuse, <laughs> I, I dialed it back slightly insofar I was sitting six inches from the goaltender's wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's good then. It sounds like the, the leaf stinkiness sharpened your comedy chops and your sarcasm. I, I never thought of it, Sammy. That the, the 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 terrible terrible leaves of my childhood uh, were how I got a career. Thanks very much, Harold Ballard, for <laughs> laying the groundwork. Because you could not go to a Leafs game without being uh, sarcastic, acerbic, bitter, mm -hmm. and and just openly obnoxious. At least I was. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that should be on your business card. So yes, when the the Leafs obviously participated a little bit in this documentary, and I'm sure they've seen it. Like, are they kind of happy or unhappy, or how do they view? this part in their history. Obviously, you can't erase this part of their history, but how do they kind of view it? I, from what I gather, they're they're very happy with the documentary. Mm -hmm. They saw the documentary. They were part of the process. And they're aware that the Leafs were very good before Ballard, and the Leafs are very good now. Mm -hmm. And to your point, they're also aware that there was a period of time when this this boob ran the team, and that was that's history. That but that is a part of the team's history. I don't think anybody in the current Leafs believes in a curse. I think they justifiably believe they're going to win the cup this year and every year thereafter. But uh, we were not surprised to find out that the that the Leafs uh, were happy with the film, and I was delighted because um, you know we uh, frankly at no point do we disparage the Leafs. The Leafs are a great proud organization and always will be. They just had a jerk driving the bus for 18 years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, you know, by 93, he died in 90. By 93, they were in the semis, remember, against Gretzky. And, and uh, of course, Gretzky put out the Leafs. And I'm trying to remember who beat the Kings for the Cup. Oh, that's right. My beloved Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> it's only been 30 years since the Habs hoisted the hardware. Yeah. We're on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> How does, uh, like... Uh... A script guy, like as we kind of touched upon some of your work with Arrested Development, Modern Family, Full House. How does a script guy end up in a documentary? That's a very good question. Michael Geddes, uh, uh, the guy, it was his idea, Lone Wolf Productions. Uh, uh, he's originally from London. He's living and working in Toronto. It's a very accomplished producer. He came to me in L.A. one day and said, you know, Chuck, there's never been a Ballard uh, movie. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, that's weird. This guy was probably the most famous 
Canadian personality for about 20 years there. Uh, I can't believe that nobody's ever done it. He said, nobody's ever done it. So I wrote a screenplay, a screenplay sort of in the vein of uh, the big short, a oh. very non-narrative, weird, talk to the camera sort of a thing. And the CBC got their mitts on it and said, uh, well, first things first, this actually uh, feels like we should do a documentary. And Mike and I, because uh, I, I, I've never done a documentary to your point, but it kind of made sense because uh, Ballard was such so crazy, such a clown. If I was going to dip my toe into the documentary world, it would be doing something like a character like this. I'm not, mm. I'm probably, I'm probably not going to do the Charles de Gaulle retrospective, you know, that's <laughs> yes. not really in my, not yeah, really in my lane, yeah. you know. Um, so while I enjoy, you know, I tell people I enjoy writing fiction, but Ballard's life was crazier than any fiction. I mean, you know, the more I, the more I researched this guy, uh, and took a couple of years of reading and reading and reading and interviewing all the players. And, uh, uh, I enjoyed doing it very much. Uh, we're going to try and do a closed end, you know, four part sort of fictionalized series about power. We're out there trying to sell it right now mm -hmm. in that it's a great documentary called the staircase that led to HBO making, uh, uh, a short series about it with some, conjecture and some some heightened things and some stylized things and that's what we want to do with Ballard the next step would be this maybe a four-part scripted series about uh the, the craziness of this time the, 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 we did as much as we could in 89 minutes mm -hmm. um but there's a lot of other stuff to be mined in in Ballard's uh time a great example that's in the documentary of like why you almost needed to have the documentary before the fictional thing because people wouldn't believe it if you put in the fictional uh like yeah. your big short version which is like Harold Ballard didn't just hire his boat mechanic to be the trainer for the Leafs, <laughs> but when the players yeah. were like injured or not feeling well, he gave him Neo Citron. <laughs> Neo Citron, yes. <laughs> like, guy, that's one of those facts. Guy, like in real life, we're like, if you tried to put that in your that like up. your fictional thing, you would think it's, it's an exaggeration crazy. or you're like a funny guy or whatever, right? <laughs> but yeah, no. Like, guy Kinnear, Guy Kinnear was the trainer, and he was. Harold Ballard's boat mechanic in Muskoka. And you're right. If a guy came to the bench and said, I think my, I think I separated my shoulder. Ah, Neo Citron. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think my jaw is broken. Well, can you open your mouth enough for some Neo Citron? Yes. You know? Uh, yeah. Very weird. Yeah. Very weird. Very weird stuff. Is it going to be difficult to cast uh, Harold Ballard for uh, your fictional version? Well, I don't know if I'd love to get Will Arnett. Will's an old friend from, oh, yeah. from uh, Arrested, mm -hmm. and he is uh, huge, ha a huge huge Leafs fan. I almost said Habs. Mm -hmm. He'd slap me. Yeah. Um, uh, we have uh, uh, Nick Offerman has the script. Um, he'd and, be good uh, too. Yeah, he could do Surly. Yeah, he'd be good. Yeah, and and but you need a big big personality. Mm -hmm. Mike Myers would be great. Biggest Leafs fan in the world with Will Arnett. He'd be great. You oh know. yeah, no, that would work. Yeah, yeah. and you they know, know the or, story, and they like know they, the character. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, I know we've talked to Dan Aykroyd, who's who's obviously legendary and fantastic and supremely mm -hmm. talented. So it would be hard to cast, but if you had somebody that went at it, you know, who dove in with both feet, like these these actors do, um, and the the movie, the screenplay, the way we have it. Uh, is narrated by Ballard's deceased wife, Dorothy. So it had his, has this sort of an interesting perspective, mm. it, it, sort of someone that, with the 20,000 feet up looking down at all the weirdness because she was 
uh, extraordinarily patient woman who died of cancer in the late 60s, -hmm. but she was there for the formative years of um, just when Ballard started to go bananas. And uh, the way it's written, uh, the screenplay, she continues to narrate even after she's dead. There's actually an argument between her and another narrator in the middle of the film who says, you're dead, you shouldn't be narrating. And she basically says, fuck off. I'm, I, I, I barely got to speak when Ballard was around. <laughs> Let me speak now. So we have, a, we have a, a, for the second half of the screenplay, the narrator is actually uh, deceased, which I think is kind of fun. That is fun. Hopefully you and I can reconnect like when that comes out. But for now, uh, offside the Harold Ballard story, uh, by the time this airs, it'll be streaming on CBC Gem, but it's going to be on CBC, like actually on TV on uh, yep. January 22nd. Yep. That's at 8 o'clock Sunday night. Uh, by that time, the Cowboys will be blowing out the 49ers. So there's no reason to have watched the end of that football game uh, <laughs> on that on Sunday night. But uh, uh, thank you, Sammy. Uh, everybody enjoy the uh, Offside the Hair Baller story on Gem. Mm-hmm. I'm pleased as punch to have been a part of it and delighted to have spent time with you, my friend. Thank you so much, Chuck. And uh, yeah, I eagerly wait for this like uh, fictional version of the Harold Ballard story. Oh, we're getting we're getting it done. We're yeah. getting it done. You may you may wind up playing uh, Guy Kinnear, the uh, the boat mechanic. Oh, <laughs> my one line is here's some Neo Citron. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you just landed the role. <laughs> that was an easy audition done. Like, yeah, I can even bring my Neo own Neo Citron too. Like, uh, please do. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't have money for props. Yeah, bring like your own. Uh, like a method actor, right? Bringing my own yeah, Neo Citron. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Uh, well, thanks so much, Sammy. Yo, that was producer Chuck Tatham. The documentary's Offside, The Harold Ballard Story is directed and narrated by Jason Priestley, and you can see it on CBC Gem. I am the host of my summer lair. I'm Sammy. There's a phrase I used in this episode, winning covers a lot of sins, and it does. But losing also reveals all the sins. It goes both ways. We do this weird thing now where we feel bizarrely obligated to categorize and slot people. They're they're good people or they're bad people as if real life is a comic book for children spider-man is the good guy the green goblin is the bad guy but in real life those categories of good and bad are just so cheesy they're really a ready-made commentary on the judge issuing the flimsy verdict and most importantly they fail because they lack all nuance with the extreme exception of like serial killers most people aren't all good or all bad sometimes Good people just do bad things. Sometimes bad people do good things. I'm grateful this documentary was nuanced. I started this conversation with Chuck, talking about the fascinating montage in the first five minutes of the documentary, Offside the Harold Ballard Story, where notable individuals were asked to sum up the Leafs owner, Harold Ballard, in one word. Some of the words in that montage were entitled bombastic and misunderstood. There's not necessarily a clear consensus on who Harold Ballard was. Sports sports is clear. You're either a winner or you're a loser. For many seasons, thanks to Harold Ballard's inept ownership and total lack of leadership, the Toronto Maple Leafs were a terrible NHL team. They flat out sucked. And that's what makes sports so beautiful. That clarity we don't get in real life. 
Winner or loser is clear in the games we play, yet so murky in the game of life. One of my favorite Jay-Z lines kept coming up in my head as I watched this Harold Ballard documentary. I'm going to quote Jay-Z right now. Dark Knight feeling, die and be a hero, or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I went from the favorite to the most hated. But would you rather be underpaid or overrated? Moral victories is for minor league coaches. As surreal as it is, you can put those Jay-Z lines on Harold Ballard's tombstone. Check out Offside the Harold Ballard story even if you're not a hockey fan. I'm not a hockey fan and yet it was so compelling. And now, a My Summer Lair PSA. If you enjoyed this conversation some good news, my pal Sammy newsletter, let us extend the conversation. And, I know, you think of email and you think of negative connotations, you think of work. You think of that sweet senior citizen in your life who keeps forwarding those weird chain letters things so that they welcome good luck. All of that is true. All of that is email. That's because for those people and those emails the E in email stands for electronic mail. So what if? What if the E stood for experience? What if it stood for event? What if it stood for excellence? Wouldn't that be exciting? Email doesn't have to be email. Does that make sense? Go to mysummerlair.com slash subscribe to sign up for the weekly pop culture My Pal Sammy newsletter. You will be elated you did. Thanks for listening to me in a Netflix world. Leafs, yo.